are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk a little baseball. Good Lord, Shohei Otani is at it again. We have an all-star pitcher that is literally falling off the face of the earth right now. Baseball memorabilia box opening. I did not know this was even a thing until ESPN.com ran a cover story on it yesterday. And now I'm fascinated and I've got questions. Also, we're going to talk about the guests that I promoted Monday and Tuesday. I said I was set to record yesterday. I did. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. That's going to be coming up on Friday. I'm going to prep you for that. And we'll get to all that momentarily. So last night, the Angels were 4-2 winners over the Chicago White Sox. They're now seven games over 500. They're 44-37 and 37 on the season, playing a lot better than they have. But the story again last night was Shohei Otani. Six and a third innings pitched, four hits given up, one run, two walks, ten strikeouts. He moves to 7-3 and three on the year. And, oh, yeah, he hit two home runs. Since the start of last season, so baseball season is six months long. We're basically three months into this season. Nine months of baseball since the start of last season, Shohei Otani has now 16 games where he has struck out 10 or more hitters. That's five more than anyone else in Major League Baseball. Pretty amazing stat, right? He's also hit 61 home runs during that time. (laughs) I mean, like I said, Mike Trout was winning MVPs for the Angels on teams that weren't over 500. This Angels team is, as of right now, I mean, they're halfway decent. They're seven games over. I need to look at the standings real quick. I know they're second place in the AL West, but overall, if you do the overall standings and you go to the wild card, if it started today, the Angels would be the sixth seed. They would be the third wild card team, and they would play the worst division winner, which right now I believe is Minnesota. Yeah, they would play Minnesota in the first round. But the Angels have a half a game lead over Toronto for the sixth and final playoff spot in the wild card. Now, we're three months away. That half game, you don't think a team can make up a half game in three months? Plus, they only have a one-game lead over the Houston Astros. So anything can happen. The Angels might end up you know, either getting hot, maybe winning the AL West, or playing average ball and getting passed and not even making the playoffs. But the bottom line is this. I, I know I've said this three or four or a hundred times over the last few weeks of podcasts. What Shohei Otani is doing in baseball is unheard of in any sport. Like I said, it would be the equivalent of Tom Brady also being an all-pro safety for the Patriots all those years he played. That's <laughs> just not going to happen. Nobody's playing quarterback in the NFL and also playing anywhere on defense. It's never going to happen. Basketball, you have to play both ways because, you know, after you make a shot or miss a shot, you got to run back on defense. But I guess it would be the equivalent. You can't even say it's the equivalent of being an NBA first team, all NBA, and being a 30-point scorer in the league and making first team all defense. That'd be impressive for sure. But I still think what Otani's doing is way more impressive than that because – You can be good on offense and be a great defender in the NBA. We've seen that. There's plenty of players. Michael Jordan was a great defensive player. 
You know, when Kobe Bryant wanted to try, he was a great defensive player. So it's not unheard of. What Otani is doing is unheard of. Five more games with 10 or more strikeouts since the beginning of last season, and he's hit 61 home runs in that period. That's that's ridiculously stupid. He's going to win the MVP of the American League this year, barring... I mean, nobody's even running away with the award. It's not like... You know, the reason Judge won the award last year was because he hit 62 home runs. I get it. But if Shohei Otani doesn't get every first place vote, assuming health the rest of the year, obviously he doesn't get hurt, I don't care what the Angels record is. He's the best player in baseball, and he should get every first place vote for American League MVP, and it shouldn't even be a second thought in someone's head. The only way he's not is if some... Writer who covers another team really likes one of the players on his own team and just gives a homer vote. But, I mean, you can't argue with these numbers that Shohei Otani is putting up. Like I said, 7-3 and three this season. He's got a 3.01 ERA. The Angels are actually good for the first time in the six years that he's been there. He's leading the majors in home runs. Like I said, two more last night, 28 on the season. He's only a few RBIs behind the major league lead. He's hitting close to 300, if not actually hitting 300. What is his batting average this year right now? He is hitting. Oh, I should have pulled this up right away. Um, batting average, he is hitting mm, 304. So, yeah, three for three last night, two solo shots, 28 home runs, 64 RBIs. Actually, I think he's now back in the lead. So he is hitting 304. He's leading the majors, the majors, not just the American League, the majors in RBIs and home runs. And he also pitches every fifth day, and he's 7-3 and three with an ERA under right around three and leads the majors in strikeouts. <laughs> I, I feel like a broken record talking about this guy, but it's, it's really incredible what he's doing. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum... I mean, you, you probably have to be a, either a live in Canada or be a pretty diehard baseball fan to know who Alex Manoa is. He's only been in the league three years. Came up with Toronto in 2021, but really good pitcher. In 2021, when he came up for the uh, Blue Jays, made 20 starts. He went 9-2 and two with a 3.22 ERA, only gave up 77 hits in 111 innings and struck out 127. Came back next year and was an all-star. Played and pitched in the All-Star game last year for as a Blue Jay. On the season, finished 16-7, and a 2.24 ERA, gave up only 144 hits in 196 innings, struck out 180. This year, Alex Manoa is the worst pitcher in the world. Like, you almost can't even explain it. I, he finished third in Cy Young Award last year. And this year, with Toronto, 1-7 with an ERA of 6.36. In 58 innings, he'd given up 45 runs. Last year, in 196 innings, he gave up 55. (laughs) In his first year, he gave up 44 in 111 innings. This year, 45 in 58 innings. So what they do, obviously, you couldn't keep him in the rotation. They sent him down not to triple A, not to double A, not to single A, to rookie level. 
the Florida Complex League. In his first start in the Florida Complex League yesterday, Alex Manoa gave up 11 runs in two and two-thirds innings. I hate to kick a guy when he's down because this guy has obviously lost it. Now, you don't know if this is like a literally a, a Rick Ankiel situation or, you know, somebody just got the yips here, but holy crap. He was playing against players. The Florida Complex League, he's playing against players that are 17 to 19 years old, and he gave up 11 runs in two and two-thirds innings. I mean, a guy that less than a year ago was pitching in the All-Star game in the major leagues. It just it's unexplainable. And you just hope it's almost a sad story. You almost hope, man, I hope he gets back and finds it. Because this is this is reaching sad levels. Like, wow, he may never play in the major leagues again after two great years. Nine and two, sixteen and seven, third place finish in Cy Young, all star appearance. And now he can't get 19-year-olds out. I mean, yikes. Hope I mean, for his sake, honestly, I hope he gets better. And I hope he turns this around because it would be a great story. Because you know if he ends up getting this turned around and getting back to the major leagues and pitching again and pitching well for Toronto and even, like, winning a playoff game, this podcast today going over these stats will be brought up a thousand times. Not my podcast, but just the fact that, hey, Alex Manoa just won the Toronto Blue Jays a playoff game. Remember in 2023 when he got sent down to the Florida Complex League and gave up 11 runs in two and two-thirds innings, and he was 1-7 with a 6.3 ERA before going down there? Look at him now. Perseverance. Great story. I mean, these are the kind of things we like seeing in sports, the underdog story. Right now, he's an underdog. He wasn't his first two years. He was good. Now he's crap, and he's got to get back to being good. So I didn't even know this was a thing until ESPN.com yesterday ran a full-length feature story on it. I skimmed it. I still am a little confused, but apparently baseball card box opening is like a huge boon on the Internet now where you can make money. And I guess what you do is you're uh, you're a YouTube star, you're a TikTok person, and you have a box of cards, and people that watching are buying in. And I don't. I, that's the thing that I got confused. I don't know how they buy in or what they're saying, but basically the people that are watching are just watching you open up a box of cards, and each obviously box has a bunch of different packs of cards, and then you open the pack, and one by one you just show everybody the cards that you have. And I guess people have purchased them. Maybe they purchased like, okay, first pack, fifth card. That one's mine. I'll pay this for it. I, Or maybe they're buying the pack itself, and the whole pack is going to one person. That's probably the way it goes. I want pack number one. But it says these box openers that are opening up boxes online are the ones making the money. Some guy's making 90 to 95% of his income opening boxes. So that means he must be selling the packs in his boxes before he opens them up and then... He's giving those giving those packs away to people. So I don't really understand it. Uh, I remember back in the day, yeah, I was a baseball card collector in sixth grade in the 80s, you know. I had the uh, 1984 to 1988 Tops full set. Every year I would get the full set of Tops cards. 
And then I would always buy packs on my way to school, walking to school or walking home from school. Remember, if you were a baseball card collector, remember the score packs? Remember those? Score was one of the new, there was there was Topps, Donruss, and Fleer. Those were the three main ones when I was growing up. And then Score came out with something. But it was interesting because the Score packs had like a very, um, they almost had a clear pack to where you could see the top card in the pack. So I remember there was a gas station as I walked to school. It was a Texaco. And they had Score packs of baseball cards. And I would walk in there every morning and look at every pack and look at the top card because if you pressed the cellophane close enough to the top card, you could see who the top player was. And at that time, getting a Mark McGuire rookie card was like the big thing. So this would have been around, what, 85, 86? And Mark McGuire on the Oakland A's, big thing to get his card. So you would be able to see the top card. I remember this when I did. But now, my gosh, it looks like this industry is taking off. And then you got the whole... um, NFTs, which I, I, I don't understand that industry at all. But and, and, I, and I feel like I'm hearing less and less about NFTs now. Is that is that kind of is that a fad like the fidget spinner that just came around for a few months and then kind of went away? Because I'm not hearing anything being sold in NFTs anymore. So maybe it's kind of gone by the wayside. But interesting read. I probably spent a little more time on understanding this box opening criteria or this box opening phenomenon on YouTube that's happening right now. I mentioned yesterday that I was supposed to record with somebody that I was looking forward to and I was going to run it on Friday. That interview did happen yesterday and it's tied into my reality Steve stuff. Um, I recorded yesterday with Jojo Fletcher and Jordan Rogers for my Reality Steve podcast. That's going to run on Thursday. But Jordan, I told him before the interview, hey, I'd love to have you and JoJo on, talk Bachelor, talk about their television show on the USA Network that they're hosting, the Big D. But, hey, can I get you afterwards and talk college football with you? Because as you know, Jordan works SEC Saturday night as a college football analyst on the main Saturday night game on the SEC Network. And he knows a lot about football. I think he's a great, great analyst. And he's like, sure, let's do it. So yesterday we recorded for 45 minutes and we went over about everything you could possibly could. I mean, the main topics, I think, going into this season of college football, I think we covered pretty much all of them. But um, it was a great conversation that is going to be airing on Friday. And, you know, I mean, this is something where I, I this is what I want to do more of is have Friday interviews. Um, I hope to I Jordan's definitely going to be on again. He was. He was excellent. Um, we talked about the 12-team playoff. We talked about the quarterback battle going on in Alabama, why it's even happening. Jordan, if you don't know, was on the field for the Alabama spring game this year when Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson both struggled mightily. But as you'll hear him say in the podcast, like, look, Bama is loaded once again at running back, O in defensive line, at receiver, their defense overall is loaded. He goes, but they are a question mark right now. And that's why Tyler Buckner came over from Notre Dame because Notre Dame's offensive coordinator last year, Tommy Reese, is now the Alabama offensive coordinator. So good topic about that. We talk about Caleb Williams. We talk about Deion Sanders, what he's done at Colorado. Going over there, we, we talk about Deion's appeal to Colorado. 
we're still both kind of up in the air of what to expect from that team because we just we've never seen anything like this before. The fact that I believe he only has ten guys who played on last year's team that are going to be on this year's team coming up. They open on the road at TCU, then come home to play Nebraska. Like, and they're in the Pac-12. We talk about the Pac-12, who top to bottom by far have the best quarterbacks, uh, the best conference of quarterbacks in all of college football this year. We talk about Georgia's dominance and how Kirby Smart has been able to do it. Just, just a fun conversation. We talk about his broadcasting, where he started there at ESPN to where he is now, kind of what his philosophy is, how difficult it is to actually be an analyst for a football game. Football and basketball, when you think about it, are just the toughest one to be an analyst because, and I'll give it a, a little bit away of what we talked about here, but this was, you know, this was my take. In baseball, baseball moves so slow. There's just so much dead time when you're broadcasting a baseball game. Now this year, a little bit less because of the time of the pitch clock. Speed things up. But Jordan Rogers, football analyst, whether it's NFL or college or even in the NBA, same thing. As a football analyst, once the tackle happens, because the play-by-play guy is describing all the action up until the tackle happens or the ball goes out of bounds or it's incomplete or whatever, then it's the analyst's job to then over the next 10 to 15 seconds max be able to see what happened on the field, be able to possibly ask for a replay and follow the replay and tell everybody that's watching at home what happened. But again, you only talk in 10 to 15 second spurts as an analyst in college football while the game is happening. And that is not easy to do at all. Not everybody can master this. And that's why I think some analysts are better than others. I'm one of these guys who has obviously a broadcasting background. I obviously have a podcast that I do 11 podcasts a week like talking on the radio. I like talking into a microphone. I know how difficult it is, but when I watch sports, I'm also not one of these guys that's like, oh, tell these announcers to shut up. I'm just going to put the game on mute. I'm the opposite. I judge every analyst that I watch, whether it's a baseball game out of market on the MLB extra innings package, whatever the case may be, I am watching games and listening to analysts all the time to determine who I think is good and who I think isn't. And it's not like I mute them if I don't think they're any good. But I really, really enjoy listening to analysts and see who's good, who's telling me something about this game or this play that I didn't know, but isn't speaking to me like I'm a dumbass either, is explaining it in very easy terms where the average fan can understand. And I think Jordan does that. He does an excellent job of it. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. If you're sports nuts, especially, it's all college football talk. I mean, that's all it is. We're not talking college basketball or college baseball or anything. It is straight college football talk for 45 minutes. It's going to be on the Sports Daily on Friday. So definitely look for that. Uh, I can't thank Jordan enough uh, for coming on. So anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow an Apple podcast. Pass this along to your friends. Let them know about it. Tell them Jordan's coming on the podcast on Friday if you'd like. Also rate and review. That helps the podcast. But thanks again to everybody who's been tuning in to the Sports Daily. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See ya!